What I never want is I never want to um, go through the motion of anything, especially when it comes to God. We never want to get in the habit of making the word of God a religious act. You know, the joy that we have with the Holy Spirit is that he can come and take a printed account of history and the life of Christ and the acts of the apostles, and he can put his spirit on it and highlight what is needed to encourage, to correct, to reprove, and to mature us thousands of years later. And, and I don't ever want to come up here and misconstrue or get into a habit, amen? If you don't need anything from the Father, then we could just read Acts chapter 17 and go home. Does that make sense? Because sometimes we just come to church thinking, oh, here we go, the same old thing. I'm doing my due diligence. I had to be the usher today. I had to sing today. I had to do this today. And we really don't need anything from the Father. But when I wake up every morning, I am starkly reminded with how much I need him. How much of me is not like him? How much of me needs to be more like him? I am reminded of how many problems I'm getting ready to face throughout the week or the day that I don't even know about. I'm reminded of that. I'm reminded of um, how frail I am. Anybody ever recognize your own frailty sometimes? I stub my toe, I am out. Don't ask me for nothing for the next 25 seconds. I, I can't even think. I'm reminded of how out of control I am. Yeah. How much I think I can control things and can't. And, and some of us don't really know that as a truth. And I can tell by how we live our lives. We feel very much in control. Um, but when I wake up every morning, I need him. And every day, since my life is short, and your life is short, all right, on the grand scheme of things, we need to be transformed more like him. Because it's really hard to imagine that a a very sin-minded individual, a very self-centered individual, a very selfish, egocentric, self-preserving, greedy, gluttonous, lazy, self-preserving, deceptive, controlling, jealous, comparative. It's hard to believe that a person like me could actually get into heaven. Like, if what we've been reading is true and we have already started our eternal life and there's no grand soul intrinsic transformation, only a physical transformation. I really don't know if I'm going to fit in with what everybody's doing up in heaven. And then if I'm going to fit in when they all come back down here, what I, you, you know, the the, the account, it, it pretty much stops right here on the book of revelation. I don't know if you like, there's no more after that, but in eternity is a long time. To not have no more written after. So then it made me think like, are you going to say something else? Is it the other things that's going to come up? And, and then would I be prepared for them other things? The other accounts, the other stories. The rest of time and all of time. 
Stuff like that is what I, I think about. And I wake up and realize I need thee, O Lord. When I come to church, I'm like, I don't know if this is my day, but I need today to be a moment of transformation for me. I need it to be a moment where I some, some good seeds get planted in, some other seeds get watered. I need some bad stuff to get uprooted out of me, God. You know I need you. I don't want to go to church, God, and it just be my due diligence, my responsibility. I need some type of transformation to happen every day because I'm on my way to see you. Hello, somebody. And I don't have any time to waste. Hello? So I want to talk today on part 16 of the Acts of the Saints. If I had to subtitle it, I give it the subtitle, The Dangers of Manifesting. The dangers of manifesting. We're in Acts chapter 17. It's a pretty brief chapter in terms of, and it's pretty clear. It continues to discuss uh, the first missionary trip of Paul. Paul has been paired with Barnabas. They've also brought along with them Timothy and Silas. Um, and and it's, it's going pretty well. Um, a lot of great things have been happening thus far. So when we pick up in Acts chapter 17, there's a couple of things that I wanted to, to look at because Paul is now entering from uh, Turkey to Greece and Rome. All right, more from Asia toward the West. Um, and it's significant because America is patterned after Western civilization and not Eastern. So we're moving from the Middle East, all right? And we're going West, all right? To places like Greece and Rome the UK, then us, <laughs> right? And this Western civilization of America looks a lot like what we see that Paul is encountering as he moves West. And I realize that there's some things about us currently, and I don't know if you guys have been watching the TikToks and the Instagrams about manifesting. Has anybody been hearing this? No, you ever heard it? You see it? I mean, it's just a, it's just a, uh, a new thing that people are discussing, um, a way to bring about success and accomplishments within your life. And it's a, it's a catchphrase, it's a hashtag, it's a way of life and thought, but it pretty much on all generalizations goes back to that you have and I have as individuals, the ability and power to take something that's in our mind, right? In our desires, in our hearts, and manifest them. And it seems harmless enough, right? Like I could think of a, something I wanna cook and then I could manifest that meal, right? But in actuality, it's deeper than that. 
And what they really are trying to, to describe is how you can take every desire you've ever had, every ambition, every dream, and every goal, and in of yourself and through your own power of, of words and, and, and speaking and alignments and vibes and energies and connections that you can then manifest these things that you have deep within your heart and in your life that you really want to see manifest. People, they have manifesting parties now where you discuss the things that you want to manifest and the techniques that could be used to manifest that. You know, you wake up and you speak these manifestations over your life. And, 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 and it's, it's, it's very common in African-American circles. Some of it dates back to trying to go back to some of our African roots and the power that we had as, as kings and queens of tribes and nations. And, and all of this is beginning. Is it, am I the only one that's seen any of this trend? And so when you talk to other African-American believers or spiritual individuals, they think we're talking the same thing when we talk about faith. Faith is manifestation and spirit is a vibe and, and awoke is, is, is salvation. And it's, it's, it's almost like we're talking the same thing, but we're not. And I want to look by using Acts chapter 17 at the dangers of manifesting. And I don't mean the word in of itself, okay? I mean the colloquialism that our culture has attached to it the religious practice that has become inundated in African-American culture, masquerading as belief, as Christianity, as salvation, hiding itself. And, and it's easy to do this because Christianity and the concept in America has come down to just being how you can be successful in your life. how you can own your first home with Jesus and how you could have a better car with Jesus and, and how you could get that promotion that it was owed to you with Jesus and, and how you could be above and not beneath with Jesus. And, and so Christianity has just become a way and a method to have a more successful life. So we can easily align that with any other method or way that could bring success to your life. And it's tragic that that's what Christianity is. And even believers that have been taught good word fall victim to that same ideology and thought pattern. And some of you are, are key indicators of that. Because I get you for a couple of hours throughout the week. Two on a Wednesday, two on a Sunday. But you have over eight hours a day on your cell phone. We did the experiment. It was obvious. We saw it. I cannot compete at eight hours a day, seven days a week, with four hours out of the seven days. So trying to teach disciplines that will then take you away from that programming and put you into the spirit, heart, and mindset of Christ is imperative. And any believer that cannot maintain that, 
just to get to the ground to see what the Spirit of God will grow in you finds themselves drifting back over to secularism and success and what about me and what about my family and balance and I need this for myself. Let me tell you something. Don't be looking at me mad because you messed up your week. That's how y'all looking at me. You're looking at me like you done did something this week that you shouldn't have been doing. Not everybody, but too many of y'all. That is not my fault. You need to repent and try to ask God to help you get in place so you won't mess up today. Amen. Hello? You can't go back over there. What you going to do? What you, you can't do that. You can't go back in time. It's, it's done. You didn't do it. You didn't do it right. You didn't do it fully. You didn't do it completely. You, didn't, you weren't completely obedient. You weren't completely. It's It's, it's, it's done. And what Satan's going to do is he's going to start playing with your brain. And you're going to miss out on today. Go ahead. I'll give you a couple of seconds. And it's the Lord, forgive me. Holy Spirit, help me. I put that situation in your hands. However, by the end of this message, if it's something I can do, show me. If it's nothing I can do, I, I repent and I surrender to you. You know I'm a mess. Come on and tell them. You know I'm a mess. You know I'm a mess. I'm a mess. I'm a mess. Help me. Help me, Lord. Amen. Amen. Y'all feel better? I mean, you're not alone. I do the same thing. You know, I, I woke up this morning like, I don't know what you want to preach, Lord. I had to go back throughout the week. Now, did I seek you? Yeah, okay. I just... Did, did I, was I in your face? Okay, yeah, all right. Did I try to pull it out and start studying? Yeah, okay, okay. All right, well, I'm just checking, Lord. Not that any of those things matter. Because I want you to do whatever you want to do, despite me. Hello, somebody. But I also want to be on the right side with you. Come on now, I value righteousness. Y'all don't want to help me today. I value right standing with God. I'm not doing it to get something from you. I just enjoy when you look at me, you'd be like, what's up? I'm like, what's going on with me? You know? I just don't want to mess that up. I enjoy that with you. You know? And it's not like me and God be like, you know, in some deep and spiritual moment every day. But I still enjoy being in right standing. The Bible says those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. I enjoy being in right standing with you. You know, when you tick somebody off, you know you feel bad. You be like, oh. They be like, hey. You be like, hey. One time, Glenda was so convicted about something that every time she saw me and she had, we had a happy moment together, she had to say, Pastor, again, I'm so sorry for that. And I'm like, it's okay. No, see, it's, uh, why you, you said, why are you being nice to me? <laughs> you shouldn't be nice to me. I'm a terrible person. I said, well, we all are terrible. Let's just move on. <laughs> but when you know you've upset God, do you understand? When you know you haven't done something right, it weighs on you. It just weighs on you. The only thing you can do is repent. Come on now, don't act like this. You may not feel 100%. That's, you're going to be all right. You're going to be all right. 
I'm not here to pump you up like, it's, like you're supposed to feel good. No, you're not. You're not supposed to feel good. You're supposed to feel a little bit down, a little bit, a little bit, just a little bit down. All right, but hopeful. Okay, like, oh, I messed that up. But thank you that you still fool up with me. Thank you that you ain't throwing me away. Thank you that you still working on the inside, you know. Woo. <laughs> One of the things I, I, I have an issue when it comes to manifestation. Let's just get, let's just get into the text, and, and, I, and I'll pull out what we can by the Spirit of God. Amen. In chapter 17, verse 1, it says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Ampollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ and some of them were persuaded and a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas so right off the top they're going into Greek regions all right heavenly Greek all right just uh, shortly thereafter I'm pretty sure there will be more Roman influence I think by um, AD this is probably around 8080, so around 8150 or something like that. I think Rome pretty much gobbles this up um, fully. Um, if not, it's already there. Um, but they go into these low, into these regions, and they begin to first go to the temple, which is where Paul and, and, and Barnabas always go. You remember that's why Timothy had to be circumcised on last week, so that he might be able to go into the temple. And continue to minister and to talk to the Jewish uh, population there. And, and he began to reason with them with scripture. And try to show him uh, Christ and why he had to die. Because it's one thing to say that the Christ showed up. So if you tell me the Messiah, the Christ came on earth, where is he? Right? Well, about that. See, he, he was here. And then, and then he, 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 he was crucified. What? But don't, don't, no, no, but then he, he was raised from the dead. All right. See, this is a tall order for anyone to believe. But the first to have any understanding of how this could be are those who have the prophecy of the Messiah. So it is, it is, it is more beneficial to take the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah, right, and, and Micah, and, and to open these books up and begin to show that this is what the Christ had to have done, and this is what this phrase means, and that's what that phrase means, and, 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 and to reveal it to them so they could see this is why he was raised from the dead, and this is why he has ascended to heaven, right? And a lot of Jews began to believe, and a lot of the Greeks that were following Jewish tradition began to believe, and then leading women, which is, this is huge because last week we discussed how Paul and Peter were crossing over Gentile uh, 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 gender roles and, and some of the socialization and, and, and the degradation of women in Jewish culture was not present in some of the Gentile cultures. So thus it was more acceptable for women to be leading, 
for women to be head of households like Lydia. And these women had the ability to actually hear and the discussions and the debates, and thus they were converted. Jewish women were not afforded that socially and culturally. Does that make sense? Which is why you see so much of it when Paul says, I would not put a woman in leadership because he was Jewish and it was imperative. His ministry had to first start by, by converting Jews to Christianity. And then it was uniquely different when he had to convert Gentiles. You know, Christ even said, you know, no matter what, and Paul taught it, that you need to stay in whatever station you're in. If you're a slave, then love God being a slave. If you're free to love, he's not, I'm not trying to change all of society. I'm just trying to point you to God. Your social norms are your social norms. And the only thing that you have to differ on is when those social norms begin to alter the will of God. That's when you have to let it go. Does that make sense? So people got jealous. The Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar, attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have uh, come here too. Stop right there. The advantage of what had happened in Jerusalem, the advantage that, of, of the conversions that had happened in some of these major ports in Paul and Barnabas', Barnabas ministry is that news was traveling faster than they could go about how and what this belief in Jesus as the Christ had been doing. The Roman Empire was beginning to feel the currents of Christianity and the Roman Empire itself is vast. So by being inundated and trying to be under the occupation of Rome, Christianity spread even more so because Rome was so vast and its territory so wide. And so now people are recognizing what's going on over there. Well, you heard such and such, such and such, and, and down in trails, uh, 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 they did this, and, and down in here. And, and the word would spread like, I don't know what's going on with that new Jesus stuff, but I tell you what, man, every time them people show up, it's nothing but chaos. The Jews get in the uproar, the people get in the uproar. One town I heard it was so split that no, everybody picked a side. It was nobody neutral, and the people were just fighting each other over it. We can see how this can play out in some of the Middle East and those areas where um, uh, jihadism uh, is, 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 and, and, and the Taliban began to move into new territory. The murmurs of the people that understand and recognize what comes when this new religious and political movement show up. And the type of devastation and the, how, the type of picking that you'd have to do as they began to advance. Christianity had that type of feel, although it was not political as of yet, okay? Which is uniquely different than Islam, all right? Islam is, it, in its religion, is to also be the political ruling agent, okay? If you're going to love Allah and serve him, you also have to rule in that place, period, all right? So it's, it's a little different. Jesus is not like, I don't care if you let me rule the nation or not. I just want the people. <laughs> right. There will be a time where all nations will come. Yeah. 
There'll be a time when nations will be judged, but it's not that time yet. All right? Okay. Uh, Jason's house, they brought him out. Um, the brethren were immediately sent Paul and Silas away. They pretty much brought them before the council and said they need to get out of here. You're messing up everything. So they sent Paul and Silas away by night to Bera. And when they had arrived, they went to the synagogue of the Jews. This is verse 11. They were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So Bera had a completely different vibe. Rather than being initially on guard, they were looking forward to hearing it and searching the scriptures to find out for themselves. A lot of them ended up believing, skipping on down through those verses, a lot of them ended up believing the same amount, a lot of women that were leading, a lot of Jews. But when the people in Thessalonica heard, uh, they came and started stirring up the people in Bera. I mean, this has been the pattern for Paul and Barnabas on their new journey, right? Even happened to Peter. When the Jews get upset in one town, they follow them. And I just be thinking, why you mess up? Go do you. Go back to your town. All right. And do you. Why you got to come after me and what I'm doing? You know, that's how jealous people are, ain't they? Like, they just can't stay over there in their territory. No, they got to come over here in your space. And, and I'm like, what, 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 what I'm doing got to do anything with you? Hello? <laughs> Nevertheless. All right. Paul waited, waited, from, uh, waited for them in Athens. Oh, okay, back up. So they immediately they sent Paul away, of course. Now they, out, this, they stirred up mess and a mob, and, and it got really nasty again. And so they immediately the brethren sent Paul away and asked uh, Paul and uh, Barnabas, uh, t- excuse me, Timothy and Silas to remain because the people at Bera were new, new converts. So they weren't done. It's just that we got interrupted by this mob that you are now rallying against us. So Paul heads on over to Athens, which is where I really want to focus our attention on. So if you get to verse 16 of chapter 17, now Paul waited for them at Athens. Um, His spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Stop right there. When he saw that the city was given over to idols. Now, when I read this initially, I was like, okay, okay, that's, that's pretty bad. But, Paul, ain't you been all over the place so far, and you've seen idolatry and false religions and, and you know, people worshiping other stuff? Like, what's the big deal here? Why are you so provoked? Let's keep reading. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers. I will underline that reasoning again because it showed up in a couple of verses beforehand. In the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happen to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, let's underscore that so we can come back to it, encountered him and said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this, this new doctrine is of which you speak? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. 
for all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. Verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Areopagus and said, excuse me, in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription. Let's stop right there. Okay. So Paul, and, and he gets to Athens and he is angry. He's upset because the whole town, all of the city, has really been just taken over by idols. Now, this idolatry is preached against later in Paul's statement, but this is not like some of the other environments. They have given into idols, which means they've made something and worship that. Okay. This is Athens, Greece. All right. So um, the Epicureans that you see and the Stoics. The Epicureans and the Stoics were pretty much competing. All right. The Epicureans believed, and this is all Greek uh, philosophy. Okay. Ep that's Epicureans is a philosophy and Stoicism is a philosophy. Okay. Philosophy is pretty much how mankind tries to understand the world around them. The truth of life and the purpose of life is found in the study of philosophy, okay? So the Greeks were very intellectual, were very intellectual. <laughs> and you can see that because as soon as he stepped foot on the Western coast, he began to use words like reasoned. Beforehand, he was, he was preaching you know, he was, he, he was preaching the gospel. He was healing the sick, casting out demons. You understand? And now he walk over here and it's reasoned with them. Yeah. Began to try to show them through demonstration of scriptures and texts. It's all intellectual at this point. The ball game has changed over here. We don't want to see no miracles because that stuff be fake or it just be some sorcery or some witchcraft. We don't care what that is. Tell us. Intrigue our mind. Wow. And so he began to reason and to use reasonable thought. This is why when people say, oh, faith is, escapes your reason. No, it doesn't. Your reasoning is a part of it because that's how you ascertain truth. So Paul begins to to preach about this, but the idea is that he's provoked because there are so many idols. The whole city is pretty much given to worshiping idols. What is unique about this is that an idol, a statue, is something you made. This is why manifestation is dangerous. This is why manifesting is dangerous. See, Greek culture believed in the gods, the Olympians, all right, on Mount Olympus, which is where he was taken, Paul was taken to Mars Hill, the Mount Olympus, all right? He was taken in order to discuss it because the Greeks were big on mythology. Now, what I like to highlight here is that the Greek gods in mythology are known to be mythology. 
okay? You know you devise a story that would help to explain the seasons, that would help to explain harvest, that would help to explain famine, that could help to explain war. You know you derived a story based off of your perspective and how you see the world, and then you created gods that look like you and act like you in order to, 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 to try to have some type of anchor about the world around you. You know you made these up. The Bible is not that type of account. The Bible was written by individuals who claimed they had a first-hand account. Oh, hello, hello, somebody. Shem, who knew Adam. Shem, who knew Noah. Noah, who knew Methuselah. Methuselah, who knew, who knew Abraham. I mean, uh, uh, Abraham. Abraham, who eventually knew Terah and Moses. And, and it was always an account of people that had, for even the New Testament is written by those who had to have an account. And even for, for the New Testament scripture to be canonized, to be accepted in the Bible, you had to have an account, a firsthand account of Jesus or one of the apostles, the 12 apostles. You can't just be talking about, oh yeah, I, I know about God and start writing. But did you see him though? But did you meet him? Did you meet him face to face? Because what we got to do is we got to go convince people that Jesus was the Christ, that he died, was raised from the dead. In order for this to fly, we need to know that you saw him rise from the dead. No, but did you see him? No, 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 but did you see him? And it makes sense when you tell me, not only did I see him, but I knew him before he died. And I walked with him every day before he died. And I saw him every, and I ate with him. So when he rose from the dead, I knew it was him. I saw the hand, the holes in his side. I could tell you it was him. That's not mythology. That is a witness. And what modern society tries to do is to equate your witness with mythology. Doesn't need to have the same backing. The Quran, it's not even in comp no comparison to the Bible. But the Quran was written by a woman who interpreted a strange tongue that the prophet Muhammad had. He didn't know what he was saying. She's the only one who knew what he was saying and she was the one that wrote it down. I don't care how much pomp and circumstance you put on it. I don't care how many people you kill about it. Hello, somebody. It is still very, the history speaks for itself. You're telling me, and the same thing with, uh, what's the other ones? The, uh, the people with the golden tablets. The Mormons. Another scr scriptural text discovered by a man that found golden tablets and he's the only one that can read the inscription and then he writes it all down and then where are the golden tablets? Lost. I mean, and they really try to say that we're all the same. If your God is so real, then where are them golden tablets, though? If your God is so real, then where is the testimony, the witness? If your God is so real, then where is the play-by-play -play account of how you move from generation to generation to generation? 
And because we don't take the time to study in discipleship classes, it's coming up on Thursday. We don't take this time to, to delve into it. Them all them other eight hours, hello somebody, that you're on your social media, little nuggets of questions that begin to deteriorate your faith, hit you on a 24-hour constant, just bam, 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 bam. And then you're so tired from doing social media searching and so tired from going to work and so tired from dealing with the family and so tired of running the errands and so that you don't even have time to really study to see how good your faith really is. Then you start slipping on down to trying to satisfy needs of the flesh. You don't, you don't, you can't afford to satisfy no needs of the flesh. I don't know if smoking weed is right or wrong. You can't afford to mess up with it. Your studying ain't even sufficient for you to even put your line, your foot on the line. You're stupid. You, 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 even, you don't even study enough to even play with that. At least have some common sense to be like, I don't even understand everything about God, so um, I don't want to get caught up. I'm just going to leave that alone. That, that makes sense. You understand? Like if somebody tell me, go ahead and take this medicine for your headache. What? You got a headache. It's you. Go ahead and take this medicine. What is it? Uh, I, I don't know. It, it's something, but it worked for me. See, since I don't really know that much about it, I'm just going to keep my headache. Not you. You don't know much about how God works. You don't know much about how he judges things. You don't know much about how he views things. But you're going to go ahead and try to appease your loneliness. You go ahead and take the pill for your broken heart. Go ahead and take the pill for your sadness. Take the pill for your frustration. Take your pill. Oh, go ahead with your sin. And here comes the Holy Spirit. Got to rescue you from some mess. To pump your stomach for all this crap you done put in. Well, I thought it would be all right. What? Come on, just have some common sense. If you don't really sure, then don't. Just keep the headache. Keep the headache. Suffer. I think you'll be all right. Y'all be trying to out here venturing. I got freedoms. It ain't a sin. And then you get stuck. Trapped. I want to be mad at me because I want to hold you accountable and give you rules that you shouldn't do. Just in time for you to study and figure this out. Then after you think, I think you know enough, do whatever you want to do. I end up telling you that anyway. Oh, you know a lot? Well, do whatever you think is best. I can't tell you nothing. Every time I tell you something, you want to give me a butt. Oh, well. And those kind of people, I just say, do whatever you want. Hello? Do whatever you think is best. That's what you've been doing. You, you in the Lord's hands. He'll, 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 he'll work it out for you. He'll, he'll work you out. <laughs> and if you're still my member, eventually he'll come back to me and be like, uh, Pastor, uh, now, last time I didn't ask you and the thing messed up on me, so I'm going to ask you beforehand. And now we get to discuss not the situation, but your heart. It's always about your heart. It's always about your heart. You want me to give you answers to, should I take this job? Should I get this surgery? Should I go over to this, to this, to this? Uh -uh, let's evaluate your heart. Because I know one thing. As a believer, you should be able to hear the will of God for yourself. 
The fact that you cannot is an indicator that there's something in your heart. And I am the servant of God by his, by his spirit that assists you. We're trying to figure out what this blockage is that is deafening up your ears so that you cannot hear God on something that important for yourself. Amen. Trivial things, that's one thing. But really important things that could take your life in all kinds of directions, I'm pretty sure he got something to say about that. I just try to get me to do all your work for you. So then if it don't work, you can be mad at God. <laughs> Ain't that right, Sierra? Mm -hmm. Well, Pastor, I told you that God told me and you said to do it. What? You, you told me that God told you. But I knew what she was saying. She couldn't come out and say it, she, but she wouldn't say, I blame you for letting me do what I thought God wanted me to do and it wasn't right. You can't blame me for that. As soon as you tell me God said, I'm done. I'm done. Good or bad, you right or wrong, you about to learn today. Hello? I feel like God said, say less. You don't even know what it is. Does it matter? Does it matter? It's best that you go with what God showed you. Because he can't teach you how to hear him better than me he can teach you better than i can so even if you got it wrong it's gonna be a right a nice journey for you to figure this out how wrong that was and i'm fully confident that he will show you this because he's done it with me so you go eventually if it's wrong you'll come back and go that why I, I didn't hear him right well, it happens what i'm supposed to do well that's that's the next step hello <laughs> <laughs> what am I supposed to do if I heard wrong? Just forget it. I don't want to hear no more. I just, I just, I just won't hear no more. Just forget it. I just, whatever happens, it happened. I ain't gonna ask him no questions. I don't want to know nothing, and I just, just forget it. It doesn't really work, number one. But that's that's very immature. How can you grow to know someone if you're not prepared to make mistakes in knowing them? The conversation was that you might know him. The conversation wasn't so it could manifest in your life. See, see how it go? You think the only point of talking is so that you can get what he say. That's, that's, that's bad. That's, that's, not a good, that's not a good heart remade by God. Hello? The purpose of the conversation is that you might know him. I want to know your will. I want to know your way. Even if it's not what I want, I still want to know because this is who you are and this is what you want. He says, depart from me, you workers of, of iniquity, because I never knew you. You never really got to know me. I was just some rabbit's foot you could rub in order to get what you want or something that you continue to do to make sure that things didn't go too bad for you. So you tell me God said, go for it. Godspeed. If it's wrong, he'll work it out. You'll see what part was you, what part was him. Hello? Mm -hmm. Amen. Where was I? The whole town was given to, over to idols. Now, Greek mythology was something that they created, right? Which is different than testimonies and witnesses. It's something that they actually used 
to help understand the world around them, to explain certain things. And you can see when you look at the Greek gods, they're very capricious. And I say that about pretty much every false god. And, and especially the god of Islam. And they want to say that the God of Islam and the God of Christianity and the Jewish people are the same. I think a God is defined by what he says and who he is and what he does, not by what you name him. You can put that name on my God, but that is not how my God acts. That is not what my God says. That is not what my God did. So thus, it's not the same. You can attach your story to his story, but it's still not the same. The God of Islam, as depicted by the prophet Muhammad, is extremely capricious. If you ever read the Quran, it goes from loving Christians, loving Jews, and then you notice that they had a brigade that went out to, to be included in the Christian movement and to be included in the Jewish movement, and that there could be some unity between all three. And the Jews rejected it, and then the Christians rejected it. And so then all of a sudden, the prophecies changed, and now it's a jihad and a holy war against the Jews and a holy war against the Christians. What? 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 This is, this is unique. The Quran is even written in, in, in a testimony form. There's no chronological order of things. Not in, not in any of them. That's, that's hard to follow. It's, it's wisdoms and sayings. And, and then I want to say, how many prophecies have been fulfilled? Because we have countless. And what is unique about the Bible, and I'm sorry, maybe this is a bit of an evangelism lesson for someone, okay? Maybe it's not you, because you should already know this, but maybe someone out there. What is hilarious to me is that the prophets of the Old Testament wrote down prophecy that they did not understand. If I'm going to write down something that I made up, the first thing is I am going to understand it. You can't write nothing down you don't understand. The first rule that you will understand, which means you would have the interpretation. If you wrote it down, something that, you, that came from within you, then you would have the interpretation. The cloud that was purple, what it really was signifying was, and then you could write down what it represented. And a lot of prophets in the Old Testament, what that prophecy meant was never attached to the prophecy at all. They were like, write this down. All right, next. What? <laughs> Eventually, my, Daniel might say, well, can you please explain this to me? And then the angel will come, okay, well, this is this, and this is this, and this. But not all of them was like that. You just had to write down stuff. You didn't even know what you was writing. Paul then takes those prophecies. Now that Christ has been crucified, raised from the dead, and ascends to heaven. And he begins to attach meaning, slime by line, bruised like a reed, sentence by sentence, an outcast from Bethlehem. I mean, line by line by line, over 1,200 prophecies. The general idea of the Bible, 
the, the major themes of the Bible are maintained for thousands upon thousands of years by multiple authors over multiple generations throughout many nations and countries spread over all the continents. The major themes are the same. The Mormons, the theme is the same because one man had one test, one, one decoding of one golden tablets. But can you maintain, but can your God maintain the same theme from book to book to book, from year to year to year, from age to age to age, from generation to generation to generation? I can't even get people to do, 10 people to do the same thing, let alone. Let's all agree that we're going to write a book that says this. How? How is that going to happen? Okay, now you tell your kids to write the same stuff, and then and we'll just keep going like that. That is not, it's not feasible. But the major themes of the Bible are in unison. From Old Testament to New. <laughs> I don't know, I just feel like I need to encourage somebody on what it is that they believe, because the world is out here trying to minimize Christianity because we have such a lack of study. And we can start to equate manifesting with Christianity. It's a sad day in our, in our world, but the only reason we come to Christ, who saved us from eternal damnation, is so that we could live this life for ourselves. You're not a hero if someone dies for you and then you completely live apart from them. Not only did he die for you, but he came for you. He left his throne of glory in need of nothing and came down just to save you from your own destruction. The destruction you brought to yourself. And then you decide when he saved you from that, I'm just gonna do my own thing. And then the rest of this is just about me doing my own thing. And the tools and the techniques and the ability to get to know him, to know his voice, to know his sensing, his spirit, his direction, you don't even want to hone in on. I get you don't understand God's voice. I get you may not hear it or don't really know it. But what is the excuse for not trying to know it? I get you, you don't really know his will. You don't really understand him. But what is the excuse for not trying? We got classes on Sunday school morning. We got Sunday service. We got Wednesday Bible study. And look, you can ask all the questions you want in Bible study. Any question you want. Brother Tadri asked a ton of questions. All the questions could be answered. You never know. Then we even have discipleship classes coming up on Thursday nights. And already, like, I can't make it. That's not going to work on my schedule. Look how you're looking. Well, what's going to work? You got to go get your money. You got to get your money straight. What good is that money going to do you? What good is it? Is that money going to save you? You, no, you're convinced that that money is going to save you from poverty. You're absolutely convinced that that money is going to save you from poverty with your silly self. Some of y'all are so convinced you're not even in church right now because you had to work. Because you think that money is going to save you from poverty. 
because poverty was the worst thing you ever experienced in your childhood. It's not going to save you from poverty. But the fact that you think that that is the thing that is most devastating in your life is why you don't have Christ built in you fully. That is not the most devastating thing that could happen to your life. You don't appreciate him for who he really is. So then he's just a rabbit's foot to make sure you don't go broke. Because as soon as the threat of brokenness happens, we see exactly where you draw the line. Now, I will give a pass to any spiritually mature individual that really has been grown up in God to the point where they are, well, you know what, that don't even work. Because if that happens, then you're bringing in more disciples. And you're so busy bringing in disciples that you really have to be there when they are there because I want to make sure that you're getting that word so we can go talk about it after church. See, I don't see nobody doing that. So I don't even think you're at the level where you could casually not attend services because you're so mature in God. But that's what it is. You've created your own mythology. That if I work and put in my sacrifice to the God of mammon, that if I make sure I clock in when they tell me to clock in and I, and I do it with my whole heart and I, and I really did not play that game, then the God of mammon will sustain me. Any real Christian knows that's not the case. Any adult could see, you know, you could be working all the time and still be poor. Recession could hit, a depression could hit, a loss of job could hit. It's all gone. Everything you built, washed out, gone, whoosh. Yeah. And some of y'all have had that happen. Everything, every stability you try to set for yourself in one fell swoop, gone. And you have not even learned the lesson. You think the lesson is still trying to make better stable choices. Better stable choices. Better st You have lost your mind. You're stupid. You're stupid. You're stupid. And I don't mean, I mean that jokingly. You're crazy. How does a woman that doesn't work? <laughs> a nine to five. Have needs met. Y'all know how much money we pull in. I have checks stacked up on my desk that I cannot cash that belong to me. Love offerings and housing stacked. I haven't cashed checks. I'm just taking off exactly just enough. I know what's owed to me is more, but I just need enough to do this. Not gonna cash them because then the check, the, the, the church will go bad. Our accounts will go under. It's just sitting there. I'm like, one day I'm gonna cash them. One day. I'm gonna do it. When we start getting on the up and up, I'm gonna, I'm gonna slowly start putting one in. <laughs> All right, put that one in. Okay. All right. Over time, I'm gonna build it up, you know. You know, because at this point, my, the accountant, the CPA, needs to see that I have income coming in. So I'm just saying, I have the checks. But the way the, the accounts was, I would move the money from the check into the savings. All I'm going to do is take cash up and put it right back in. That's stupid. Because stuff, stuff, anyway. 
stuff is rejected in the transition, in the, tr in the transaction. Let's just move on. Um, <laughs> but you'd be crazy to think, and I'd be crazy to think that I am provided for by this church. And some people think that. Some of y'all think that. And people that talk about me think that it's the church that provides for me. It's the Lord that provides for me. It's the Lord. He may use you. He may use you. He'll use anyone willing to do his will. But it is the Lord that provides for me. I am grateful for your willing hearts for God to use you. But if you never had another willing heart a day in your life, please believe, as he has shown so many times when people would say, well, maybe you shouldn't have gave the pastor the money. You should have took care of this. Maybe you shouldn't have bought the pastor that. Oh, please believe he will still bless me without them. I got three checks in the mail out of nowhere I wasn't even expecting. They went to the finance team because the church needs the money more than I do. Didn't they? What did Lakeisha? Them checks written out to me. It's about 800 bucks. I was very excited about that. Didn't even know I was going to get them. Like the oh, the account low. Yeah, put that, put that. <laughs> well, who, who would care? It's easy to do when I recognize all of my needs have still been met by him. I'm still going to eat today. Somehow the mortgage is going to get paid. Hello, I don't know. Somehow it's going to show up. It always has. And that's it. That's done. But you're going to end up being a slave to, to the God of mammon. And some of you are venturing in that because of your apprehensiveness to be poor. Not recognizing you're already poor. <laughs> your mindset has already brought poverty to your life. You think poor. You think basic. You look so poor. It's not about what you buy or what clothes you wear or the name brands. It's about how freely you could move in the things of God. When you can move freely into doing God's will, like I just want to sow this seed. I just want to just get your gas for you. Sister, let me just do that for you. That freedom is because you already know that God provides for you. And so now you are his servant rather than the servant of mammon. I don't know who that was for, but amen. It's countless people that listen to these messages and so few actually send in tithes and offerings. You know, I have an account that lets me see all of the digital tithes and offerings with your name. Hello, dear members. Okay, I'm not there, but I'm a member. You know, membership has benefits, but it also needs tithes and offerings. I, I mean, 
Where them, where them tithes at, though? Even if you're not here. We still here. You think because you're not here that we're going to get, get a discount on the space? Now, why don't you tell me how you really feel? Pastor, I'll pay you when you preach. When you don't preach, when well, I ain't sending no money. If you're not preaching to me personally, then I ain't sending it. I, can't, I don't even want to go into this, but I can count on my hand how many times I've seen a digital transaction from some of our online members. They ain't been mailed. They're not on the, on the, on the tithely. That's not right. You bought sweatshirts, T-shirts. So you know how to use the internet. No, because if I don't say nothing, y'all think this is cool. I'm not telling you how much to give, but I should at least see something at some point. That's ridiculous. You know better than that. People that don't even go to our church that watch us online, that listen to the podcast, they send more money than my actual members who are not here. I thank God for them. But I want to thank God for you. I want to ask God to bless your finances. But it's hard to ask God to bless the finances of someone that is selfish. It is hard to ask God to bless the finances of someone that is selfish. It is easy and heartfelt to pray for blessings on people that are generous. That as soon as they hit a financial difficulty, as soon as their business isn't lining up, as soon as there's a pay cut, all I can do is pray, God, you need to secure them. You need to build them up. You need to help them with that because I see their heart. I don't see your heart. Just because you don't have much, I don't see what you're doing with little. So don't tell me you'd give it if you had it. You won't. Repent for being a taker. There are people that have had financial difficulties just, just recently. But I saw, and even they still give, they budget in to give when they know it's not going to add up. <laughs> they would sit with me and go, Pastor, and we got, I got to tell why don't you reduce the tithes and offers a little bit, baby? You're not going to make it. I'm going to take, 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 take that down about $10 because that's, you, you. if you sit with me about your budget, that's what I'll do. But I know people that budget that in and still trust God to figure out how it's all going to work. And they've never been forgotten. Never been forgotten. God said he will not be a lender to no man. God, I want to make sure your stuff is straight. You go ahead. Oh, I'm going to make sure. I'm going to get that back to you. Don't even worry. I will not be a lender. You giving him what you got after. Make him first. Make him a priority. Make the things of God a priority. 
Some of y'all so tired of working, so tired of barely making it. But I don't see that in how you give. Not that you give in order to get that. I don't see that you even have a heart that is for anything else besides you. You're not like that all the time. You only like that when you're stressed, which means that's still you. What you show when you're angry is still you. What you show when you're broke is still you. This is you when things are not ideal. That still counts as you, baby. You only give when me and you is in a good place. If me and the pa- if, I'm, if I got my odds with the pastor, I'm not. I, you know, I need to keep my money. I need to. That ain't right. You should be doing this unto the Lord, not unto me. And whether you and me got odds or not, you can attest to one thing. God moves in this house, and he moves on the lives of other people. Even though you're mad at me, that's your work unto the Lord. All right, I don't know why we're over there, but amen. Amen. Get yourselves together. Get rid of this poverty mindset. And I don't mean think rich. That means trust God. And, and the modern church has, has built this, get rid of the poverty mindset in order to think big, have big vision. No, no, no. Trust God. Just trust God. Trust him. Put him first. Put the things of God first. Set your tithes and offerings up front. Like, take it out. Don't just think about it and then see what happened at the end. They'd be like, oh, I meant to do it, but oh, I only got 35 left. Oh, I'm going to get that to the Lord. I love you, Jesus. Do it first. Set it aside. Put it where it needs to be. Render it to the Father for the work that he does in the nations. Okay. I love you. I'm sorry we had to have that talk, but we already did tithes and offerings for today, so I'm not going to redo it. Don't worry. And I pray that the Father blesses those who have been giving consistently and selflessly, because that's how we've been even staying afloat. But some of this inconsistency, it has to stop. If you can't do it with God, who can you do it with? I want you to be free to trust him as it relates to your finances. And secretly, I know that he will bless you. I don't want you to do it for that, but I I do know him. Amen. The, uh, The Greeks and the Athenians... They were building idols, and the, the mythology that they used could easily lend itself in further degradation to we might as well just make this statue. Now, what, I, lo- what I, I want to draw attention on is when you're given to idols, you made it. You, you designed it. 
it based off of what was in you. You created it based off of what was in you, right? And then you serve it. So all you really did was take an aspect of your personality, <laughs> put it on an altar, and serve that part of you. Make a vision board. Look at it every day. Manifest, say those manifesting words every day. Take what's in you. Create something. Bring it from intrinsic to external and then serve it. Now go to work and then put that paycheck right here by your vision board. Then put this right here by this vision board. Then go ahead and, and, and now serve every aspect of you that you deem worthy, noble, honorable, something good. Go ahead, serve it. I just, I just love loving people. I just love to be, I just love loving people. You know, I just, you know, I, I've never been loved and I just love being loved. I just need somebody that, that really loves me. Go ahead, make it. Make this idol based off of all of your imaginations. Go ahead, make the family based off of all of your imaginations of what a family is going to be like. Go ahead, go ahead, you, go ahead. That's what you, well, you know, I could just imagine my wife. Go ahead, make your spouse. Go ahead. That's of all the things that you think that spouse is going to be and then serve it. What kind of man do I need to be to be to have that kind of woman? What kind of woman do I need to be in order to have that kind of man? Go ahead, serve it. You just take the manifestation of what you was in you that you think is good and noble or beautiful or nice, then you, you bring it outside of you and you start using actions in order to, to make this come to life. The Greeks with mythology were not far from this. So by the time Paul shows up, they got idols everywhere. It's the year of selfie. I want a type of man that does this, looks like that, loves this, has that. So then I need to start shaping my body to be the type of body that has this, that, that, and this. I need the type of wife, so I need to do this. I need the type of man, so I do this. And so you end up serving these things as noble and as beautiful as they are. And lives are spent serving idols that we've created more than actually serving God. How do I know? Because you never even asked him if he wanted you to have that body. You never asked him if he wanted you to have that job, if he wanted you to have that car, if he wanted you to have that house. You never even asked him. You assumed because it came from within. You assumed because it's always been a desire you had all your life that it is noble and worthy to be served. It's worthy to be served. No, I'm going to make sure my family is never poor. It's worthy to be served. I'm going to make sure my kids never have to. Worthy to be served. 
I'm going to make sure nobody ever, never hurts me the way worthy to be served. Just because it comes from inside of you does not mean it's worthy to be served and for you to dedicate your actions and life spent to it. And the Bible makes it very plain. You cannot serve God and mammon. You will love the one and hate the other. The money would be so important that church is not important. Love would be so important that the way God says to love is no longer important. Hello? Y'all feeling a little crunchy? They were given over to idols. So when Paul starts writing his message, they take him to Areopagus. This is, is, the, is, is where the Acropolis is in Greece. This is adjacent to that, okay? This is where it was said that the gods fought and became this, this place where uh, now judgment takes place. And they hear trials and cases of felons, of murder. They hear cases of, of theology and religion. This is the place, the, the learned institute. This is where all the intellectuals go. And in, some, and in this case, some women were allowed to go. In their culture, you could be a smart woman. And because you were an intellectual woman, you were allowed to hear the debates and the trials. And people would travel for far and wide because if you ever wanted to know what was going on in the world, this was the place. This is the epicenter of modern society. And so Paul was taken there because as he began to preach in the synagogues and as he began to preach in the marketplaces, that he created such a following that they bring him up here. We need to hear this for ourselves. And he went up and he began to preach. And you, I love, he worked this crowd like you would not believe. He started by telling them, I know that you are religious. In essence, there has been a degradation from at least grasping the spiritual nature of God to now just serving idols. What is degrading about this is you made this with your own hands. How foolish. I know we think, yeah, that's really silly. But going back to our previous examples, you came up with what you wanted your life to look like. And then you serve it. You serve it to the point that some of you go into depression and anger because what you created about where your life was supposed to be is not where it is in your 30s. It's not where it is where it's supposed to be in your 40s. And now you're over here upset out of something that did not, the, the doggone idol didn't do what it was supposed to do. But you made it. Are you mad that the statue you created did not actually do what it said it was? When people say, Pastor, did you always know you were going to be in ministry? No. Did you always know you were going to be a pastor? No. Let me tell you something. When I sold my life to the Lord and gave it to him fully, was sold out, that's exactly what I did. Those matters never, never interested me. That was his business. I showed up where he wanted me to be. I did what he asked me to do. That was all. What it equates to is still his business. 
And I'll be a fool to start trying to take what I desire and start trying to manifest it. I'd be a fool because it came from me. Now, the reason you say, well, God could tell you and you and then you could manifest that. I don't trust me enough like that. Maybe you trust you enough that you can trust and say that this was me and that this was God with who I want to be. I don't trust that with me. I'd be like, yeah, this was you. And it could have been me all along. So how about this? How about I don't worry about what I'm going to be. You take care of me being what you want me to be. And I just do whatever you put in my hands. This goes against every secular word of wisdom you ever had. Look how you regurgitating after. I, 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 I. She's, I'm, not, I'm just not supposed to just believe I'm supposed to be nothing. Just, you can't even stomach it. You can't even handle not having control over manifesting your own self. You can't even fathom this. Digest, just, so I'm supposed to just be just, 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 just whatever, just whatever he do, whatever show up that day. That's what I'm just, no, don't have no future goal. Oh, what are your goals? It's about how much money you make. What kind of car are you going to drive? What are your goals? Whether you get married, whether you have kids, those are your goals? Or your goals that I want to be kind, compassionate, long-suffering, disciplined. I want to be temperate. You know, I, I want the things, the fruit of the spirit. I want to be able to hear God's voice. See, those goals are uniquely different than the ones that you're trying to manifest and you want to call them that they come from God. How do you know? At the end of the day, we all say, only you know, Lord. Only you know. And I dare not serve that image. Y'all don't want to play fair today. I dare not serve that image. I dare not serve that image. This is what the world is. You are, it's, we are so brainwashed. I dare not serve that image that I created. If you created, then it will happen according to your will. That is not my concern. But we don't even know how to live without serving that image. And some of us are lost and don't know who we are if we don't have that image. I'm using Gabrielle as a... As a uh, an example. <laughs> Gabrielle looks at all her other friends and they all got careers, she says. They got real careers in medicine and science and, and nursing and, and they got real careers and, and things. And she's always been an overachiever, so I'm sure she didn't say this, but she was probably thinking, and I'm real smart and real capable and I'm just working a regular job. From time to time, she would come to me and she'd go, Pastor, okay, I think I'm going to be an accountant. Why? Because, I don't know, I'm good at numbers. It's pretty boring. I think I could do kind of boring, tedious tasks as a beaver-ish. I can beaver a little bit, so I think that might be good for me. Well, why do you want to do that? I don't know. I just I need a career. Why? Because everybody else got a career. Okay? I don't know about that, Gabs. All right, Pastor, I'm going to be in ministry. I'm going to go to seminary. Why? Because I love God and I don't know what else to do. I don't, I don't know about that, Gabs. What she's really telling me is I don't have an inner sensing of who I'm supposed to be. And I think it is best defined by what I do with my life. 
And for all these years that she's been plaguing me with these questions, trying to figure out, why don't you help me with my career, Pastor? Why don't you help me figure out what I'm supposed to do with my life, Pastor? I'm like, Gabby, you're doing it, ain't you? No, this can't be, I mean, I am what you want to do. You want to be an entrepreneur? No, I don't want to be an entrepreneur. She wanted this game that she wanted to be an entrepreneur. I said, Gabby, do you really want to, I don't want that kind of life. See, I told you I want to be an entrepreneur. Now she can boldly say, everybody don't have to be an entrepreneur. This is true. So what do you, I can finally answer her question. Gabby, you're going to be like me. You let God decide. You work what he puts in your hand. You leave the rest up to him. After a while, you come to a point in your life when you look back and you can see that every stupid job, every stupid internship, every dumb degree I ever got, every silly class, that it all works together for his good. rest it'll be all right a lot of these people that are on these set career paths is because they have an image of what they're supposed to be and they're serving that image and they don't know how to get out of that 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 real rat race there of serving the image that you created you don't know how to stop it how to turn it off because you and the rest of the world has defined you based off of what you do with your life. I define it based off of who I serve. I don't serve me, I serve God. Sometimes that includes you, but ultimately him. That's how I define it, that's me. Who are you, how do you define yourself? A Christian. You're a doctor, no. A lawyer? No. A pastor? Eh. Christian. What does that mean? It means I follow Christ. Follow him to do what? Whatever he's telling me to do. How do you know he told you to do it? Because they're right there. <laughs> Could it be so simple? Could it all be so simple? Could it be something that, <laughs> that, you, that you just enjoy every day like manna raining from heaven enough to satisfy that day and you wake up the next day no care no concern this is my lot for today I'm on children duty today that's fine play golf today that's good won't play golf today that's bad need to study today okay I'll study oh the pipes burst I gotta take care of that today won't be like that tomorrow. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but it is my lot just to live tomorrow. How and what picture, what image your life actually becomes should be in the hands of God. When we pull back from your life and see all these mosaics come together, all these tiles of mismatched jobs and old friendships and new loves and exes and, and jobs and, 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 and all of these events and trips and outings and we pull back. I expect to see a masterpiece. No, me personally expect to see your masterpiece. More than likely, I will have to officiate your service. And I expect to look over your life 
and see a masterpiece. And that's what I wanted to convey. The gloriousness of your life. Help that by trusting God. Because when y'all start trying to make your own image, it looks horrible. All the sacrifices you do unto mammon do not give you a better personality. Doesn't make you patient, kind, or temperate, or long-suffering. You become more selfish and not nearly as generous. So, so what if you accomplish things in your life? Everybody at your service will know you are not that good of a person. I think about my mother's service every day. <laughs> I wish I didn't some days. And as her daughter, I often try to think about if I'm making her proud as a living legacy of who she is. And then I think that's pretty pompous of me to feel like I am the legacy of her. Like, she didn't do nothing else great with her life but me. <laughs> And so I think about her service because at her service, I heard all the great things that my mom did apart from me. And when I was packing up her things, I was thinking this because I was in my closet going, I wonder who's going to have to pack up my stuff. And it made me think of my mom, and I was packing up her things. And it was so real that my mom's stuff could fit in a couple of boxes. And if you had to surmise her life by the things that she acquired, it wasn't much. But when I got to the service and heard how many people were touched by my mother, by her person, by her jokes, by her compassion, by her love, by her fight, I said, what a beautiful life my mother lived. I didn't know it was so beautiful because it was all about me, duh. <laughs> like, what are you doing having stuff with other people? What is <laughs> but she had a life with others, and she impacted so many people. And she was everybody. She made everybody feel like that they were her best friend. Even to this day, you know, you, you and your mom is my best friend. I was like... <laughs> I have to tell them, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I was truly the best. And don't ever get that twisted. You were somewhere in the mix. <laughs> you know how I know? Because you talked to me about you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but nevertheless, Lisa could attest, I was my mama's best friend. And I realized that it's so important of who you are becoming in God is far more important than the image of your life that you're trying to manifest. And there's so much danger in a believer that tries to do that. Knowing you and the version of you that God is trying to, to create can be seen in reality through all the things that you do with your life. Does that make sense? They just reflect that, that he's created. Amen? So Paul begins to tell them, and we're going we're gonna to end on, on some of these here, <laughs> that it's not, I can see that you're a religious group of people. In essence, he's trying to get them back to, do you remember when you believed in gods versus idols? Do you remember when you had a thirst 
for wanting to know reality and truth and the cosmos and the purposes behind things? Do you remember when you wanted to know the purpose behind life and how it had to have been more than just stuff? That's what he starts to pull up in the Greeks. He starts using some of the quotes that he has when he says, um, God who has made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with man's hands as though he need anything since he gives life and breath and all things. He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Paul, in this beautiful sermon, began to speak to them using poetry from their own leaders, from their own Stoics and Epicureans, from their own philosophers. And they are now listening like, oh, this is not no random broody poop babbler. This is a learned intellectual. And he begins to appeal to them and say, do you remember when you, you too used to believe that we were offsprings of God? Now, who that God is, you may not have known because it's being revealed and has been revealed now. But you at least weren't worshiping the stuff that you made with your hand. There was a point in your life where you wanted to know the purpose of living, where you hunted for that. You sought for it. You seeked it out. And you said to yourself, if I could figure out what the purpose is, then I would want to live my life in that direction. And then you started making idols. Come on, be fair. Be fair. Go all the way with it. Then you start making what, pictures of what your life should be like. And then you start making examples of how you want to live and what your family going to be like and what you're going to drive and what you're going to wear. And then you, start, then you started serving this. And somebody has to come back and go, now, do you remember how you knew that all of that was vanity? Before you were told you are going to be world famous? Before you were told you're gonna do something great, before you had an inkling that you weren't gonna be like your mama and your daddy and you was gonna do something different and blah, 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 whatever it is. Before that image, you began to serve. Do you remember when you just wanted to know the purpose of life? Now, can you remember when you found it in Christ? How is that purpose different than what you've been serving? And why are they different? We come to church, we go to Bible study, we do Sunday schools, all of these things so that we could keep reminding, being transforming our minds to that of Christ, that my life and the purpose of why I'm living is different because when you're in this world, it's like gravity. It holds you down here. You're like, no, I want to be with God. Oh, I got to go to work. I want to be with God. Oh, my car just blew a tire. I want to be with, and it, and it just keeps gripping you. We assemble with the brethren so that we could be free to remember. That's why you feel the way you feel when you leave here. I could do everything in God again. That's what you're supposed to feel. I could do it in Jesus again. And of course, over the week, it goes back. But that's normal. Because we are in the world, but not of it. That's normal. That's why he created the assembling of brethren. 
He knew you would need help and encouragement and reminder weekly. If not, sometimes they used to meet daily in the temple. Daily you need a reminder. Daily you need to, come on now, get off of this world stuff. What you think, you super Christian? You don't need a reminder every week? I'm fine. I'm, I'm, I'm love on We all do. You need it. That's why you come and I need it. That's why I'm preparing for you to come. In order to feed you, I got to eat. I need to eat. If I didn't feed you, I'd still be eating. But there's extra sauce on it then, you know. Oh, <laughs> I can't procrastinate on this. It's people, people relying on the word. I have a word last night and I told Gabby and I think uh, Jewel's there. I said, I ain't got a word. Lakeisha came by. They had some issue with your baptism certificates. And I was like, y'all frustrate me with this. I don't even have a word. Gabby's like, it's okay, Pastor. You'll get one. I was like, shut up. It's not okay. I need a word. Look at you. What you going to do? Going home? What you going to do? Get in the bed? You don't have nothing to worry about. You going to go home, get in the bed, full of faith that you're going to have a word on this Sunday. <laughs> she said, indeed. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm over here like, dear Jesus, dear Jesus. <laughs> but that, at some point, I stopped sweating it. I do. I stopped sweating it. And I just realized, all right, I just want, I just get into whatever he wants to do. It's, it's, it's you. It's just your game. Whatever you want to do. And I just enjoy being with him again. Amen. <laughs> so Paul begins to preach this using poets from when they used to participate in at least worship of gods, even if it was their own mythology. And it was no longer about just the temporal things. Now, the Epicureans and the Stoics were there and the Epicureans really wanted to free mankind of the fear of the gods. Now, when you look at Greek mythology, these, oh, these gods, <clears throat> they were capricious. They did things and they had moods. All right, they were moody and you couldn't really play them. You don't know how they're going to play. And Paul writes, he says, now we worship God and he does not dwell in temples made by man's hands. No. And we don't, he doesn't need our worship. He doesn't need anything from us. Now that line, let me read that. That line he says, nor is he worshiped with man's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. I, when I read this, I was like, um, but we do, we do worship him with our hands. We if I recall, in the Old Testament, they did worship God. With they, they, they took birds with their hands, and they cut the birds, and they took the grain with their hands, and they offered the grain, and they offered the lamb with their hands. And so they did worship God with, did I, did I miss something, Paul? That's what I was thinking. What Paul is addressing is not the actions of the hands, but the method behind it. He's trying to show that these God, the true God, our God, does not need worship. But if you look at these 
Greek gods, they needed stuff. They needed sex. They needed love. They needed bloodshed. They needed, I mean, they actually would get into wars with each other because somebody had an illegitimate child and cheated on the other one with the other god. And I mean, they had drama. These gods needed things. They needed to be appeased. They needed to be made happy. They needed to be made. And what we know about our God is that he does not need our worship. He is self-sufficient. He is him all by himself. He does not need your praise to make him happy. He does not need your, your glorification or your glory in order to, to make him have a good day. He does not need any of anything that we could ever offer. We offer it because it is right to do. There are times when people come to say, Pastor, Gabby did this to me the other day. She said, Pastor, I was in a house clothes, hair all over my head. I stepped outside of my front yard, looking a hot mess. I didn't care. No, you start buying houses. Like, I don't care, this is my house. Look how I want to look. Hmm. <laughs> so I'm outside rearranging the flowers for the fall. Gabby says, Pastor, you look so pretty. I was like, thank you. That's so nice. I don't feel very pretty. See, at that moment, Probably needed a compliment because I looked it busted, right? That's different. To compliment someone and say, you're beautiful. When you need that compliment, it feels so good. When you're in doubt, unsure, when things look a certain way, that is never God. He is never in need of your compliments. He is never in need to be reminded that he is holy or king of kings or righteous or wonderful. He is never doubting that, lacking that, insecure about it, uneasy about it, ever. We say these things because it's true, because it brings joy to us. See, I can give you a compliment and say you're beautiful. You know you're beautiful. And it was more so for me. I just wanted to say, that is really pretty. You look really pretty today. You look really handsome. That has nothing to do with you. I just, you caught my eye. And I thought, oh, you're looking handsome. Okay, Brother Casey, you look handsome today. Oh, like, it had nothing. I don't, I'm not even thinking about you. It's not that you were lacking in anything. It was a truth that I needed to express. When it comes to praise and worship, what I heard in my office got me a little uneasy. It began to feel that we had to praise and worship him in order for us to have good things happen in our lives. In order for us to feel him, to know that he's here. And a lot of black churches become that. We worship God so that we might feel his presence. That's, that's, that's not why we worship God. We worship God because it is right to do because he's God. When someone is God, you're like, oh, you're God. And when they're as beautiful as him, you're like, oh, you're a beautiful God. If they're mighty like him, like, you're a mighty God. I just, I just have to, I know you don't need to know it, but I just had to tell you, cause, oh, you real mighty, you real, you really amazing, you real, you real great. Did you, I know you know it, but my God, you are great. My God today, you are amazing. It should be coming from a place of truth, not manipulation. 
I'm saying it because it's true. I'm saying it because I'm just looking at you and I'm thinking about you. And oh my God, this is what happens when I think about you. This is how I feel when I, when I imagine you, when I see you, when I think about our lives together and, and our history together. This is how I express that. Somebody asked me the other day something about God. And I said, I said, I don't know, I just love him. And apparently my face just lit up. Was it you, Jewel? And she said, Pastor, your face just lit up. I'm like, I can't help it. I just, I think about him. Oh my God, he's so cool. I like him a lot. I'm not even gonna lie. I like him more than like Dr. Smith. <laughs> apparently I do because he wants me to quit the church and I'm like, no, I like God too much. So guess I don't want to be married that bad. <laughs> I like him more. But it should come from how you really feel about him when you think about him. And I think, you guys, we, we, we drift back into that idolatry, that false worship that says we need to do something for him to be happy, for him to feel good, for him to like us, for him to be pleased with us. He needs none of that. He doesn't need any of it. He is the I am. Your praise and your worship is coming from how you really feel about him. It's not just music and activity. That's why I didn't like the baby girls dancing like that. I don't think they really know who he is, nor do I think they were dancing because they were excited about him. But it don't take nothing to get kids and humans excited about anything. Music has that effect, but it is your responsibility with your heart and your mind to focus on God and allow that excitement to, to be present. But you can be excited about nothing. Half the other songs in the secular world are nothing. They don't even have no real words sometimes. And we be like, yeah, and you're just feeling something. You don't even, you don't even, don't even go with the words. It, it has to come from in here, from an actual feeling. Cause you just clapping your hands and jumping up and down. Let me tell you something about the things of God. I know. And cause I don't say something every week, don't mean I don't notice every week. And if I notice, you can bet your bottom dollar, God know, that this is not even about him as much as it is about you. This is about you having a good day. So that means when you're not having a good day, we won't get this. Oh, oh. That's why the saints say, when I think about Jesus and all he's done for me, when I think about Jesus and how he set me free, I want to. The reason we see that is because we're trying to tell us, hey, Quit worried about other stuff and really think about Jesus and all. You got to, oh, man. Okay, okay. See, I'm tripping. I'm tripping. I'm out here in this lollygag world, you know, because I had a rough day. I had a rough morning. I'm tripping. And so the dancing comes from that. I used to dance in God because I knew my God delivered my parents from drugs. Minister Hudson told the testimony. I knew it. 
I could shout as a kid because I knew I was so excited about it. It does not matter your age. You know when God has done something. You don't have to sit there and start acting like, I don't really know. I'm just playing. You could think about what he's done on the inside. Don't just come thank the pastor. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. You are wonderful. See, that's what y'all should have done this morning. That's it right there. It is your responsibility. With your spirit, you worship God. Not your flesh. The flesh can just be attracted to music. Do you understand? It could tap its feet just because music is playing. But your spirit, it connects and identifies, that's my God. That's him. That's him right there. People say, oh, you was in the spirit. It's because they are actually where God, they could, that's him. He's doing this. I see, yeah, 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 yeah. Pastor, did you feel God? I felt him. I felt him. We don't worship him just to feel him. That's manipulation. He has a right to be himself. <laughs> He's God. He's not here at your disposal. Well, I'm really feeling sad, so I need to feel you today. Try that a lot of tough times. You get a rude awakening. He was like, and? And ain't you supposed to be here to make me feel better? I mean, I am a wonderful counselor and everything, but there's something about how you coming at me. And some of you have been raised in church unintentionally to feel like you control God. Your temper tantrums, your sadness, your grief, your pain, your heartache, your frustrations, that if you just get a big enough temper tantrum, he'll come running. Okay, he probably did for most of your life. But aren't you going to grow up? Aren't you ready to grow up? Some of, some of us, the reason why we're going to be terrible spouses is because we don't know how to be an adult. You had a bad day. Your spouse have a bad day. Y'all come in the house. You, 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 you messed up. You can't even take one for the team to be there for the other person. You think it's their responsibility to make you feel better. One of the things Dr. Smith used to tell me all the time, he used to bother me so much. Don't let nobody steal your joy. He used to say this to me all the time. All the time. Don't let nobody steal your joy when I would get angry. When I would get angry at him. He's like, don't let the devil steal your joy. Don't let anybody steal. I'm like, don't it is the use took my joy. <laughs> you took it with your stupid behavior. You took my joy. <laughs> if it's somebody else today, they took my joy. What you mean, don't let them take my joy? They took it. When they made me mad, they took it right then at that moment. Just took it. <laughs> Women can relate. The men are not laughing because, well, maybe it's a Because most men have this intrinsic ability to not allow other people to take their joy. And we are envious of this. Not, you don't do it all, all the time, but you have it more than we do. Us women are jealous of that. So, so you just, you just, you gonna find with it. Yeah, I mean, what, what can I do? I'm fine with it. What can you do? You could stew in it. You could steep in it. You can wreck it. You just take everything and just throw it up in the air. You can give everybody attitude. Everybody gets it today. Ugh. Man be like, what's that going to accomplish, you know? 
They can do it more than we can, but they still struggle with it. And in my mind, I always thought that if somebody makes me upset, it is their responsibility to make me feel better. So Paul says he's not worshiped with man's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. Now the gods of the Greek mythology, they needed stuff. They would come and sleep with humans. They needed appeasement. Can you imagine being Greek and finding out that there's a God that don't need nothing? Don't need you to pray to him. Don't need you to render anything to, that they're not, he's not moody. You know, he's, he, he's, he's even kill, never changing. He's an anchor, a stable thing. Oh, I might have made the gods angry. He's not even like that. To them, this is probably an amazing thing. He, he goes on, he talks about this idea that this same God who needs nothing has given life breath to all, has by one blood made every nation. And that he alone has determined what I love about this state is their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwelling. It's not the God of war. It's not a constant, will this, will this nation win? And the gods are sitting back watching, let's see which nation's going to win. It's already been predetermined, pre-appointed. The only thing God's enemy can do is try to resist what God has already pre-appointed, and he will lose every single time. When God told Israel, told Egypt to let his people go, it was the pre-appointed time for the nation of Israel. And when Satan tried to get into Pharaoh and try to change that, he's going to die today because this is the pre-appointed time for Israel to rise and to e for Egypt to begin to fall. And he set that. He set these predetermined times for generations and nations and where you'll be born and how far your nation will expand or not expand. Ukraine and, and, and Russia, predetermined. It's already been established by God. Only thing we could do is figure out what God wants because that's the one that's going to win. That's it. That's all. He says, now this predetermining of nations and boundaries and set times, which is key because it's one thing to tell me how far are we going to let these nations physically go. But when generations are born, like me personally, I think I'm very glad to be born in this age of modernity. I think I do well with gadgets and technology. I don't want to be born back there where... You, d you didn't even have electricity. Like I, I like lights. I was thinking about that driving and I was like, oh look, our whole nation could just have light at night. That's interesting. Also caused some harm because now we can work way too much because we have access to light all the time. 
Whereas night would tell you, it's time, you're done. It's time to go to bed. <laughs> See how your eyes are straining? It's done. Go to bed. Candle, blow it out. And you limited, to, you can only do this. You can't go don't do no work over there. Why? Because it's dark over there. Our progression has shot us in the foot. But nevertheless, he says that these nations have been predetermined, their times and their boundaries, so that the nations should seek the Lord in hope that they might grope for him and find him. I'm not going to let this nation go past this point. Why? Because I want them to come look for me. If I let them go past this point, then that's going to require a whole bunch more stuff. And they may never find me. Y'all, oh, come on, man. I know you think that you got to manifest your image. Come on, y'all don't want to help me preach today. You think I got to manifest this image in my life. My family would never have to deal with that. My, I would never do that again. I would never go through that again. And you're so busy trying to manifest this thing. And the thing is not working. Let's just be honest. It's not working. And you keep saying, well, what's wrong with my faith? And what's wrong with God? And maybe I'm not doing something right. Or did he establish a time and a boundary that you might seek him? That you might look for him. Because the truth of the matter is, if you crossed over to that area, got that spouse, got that job, got that money again, got that house, that it will require so much more of you that you would no longer be groping for him. I can prove it because the last time you did it, you stopped groping for him. Now, if you're upset, you're thinking that it's unfair that he won't let you succeed all so that you could come find him, then I challenge your definition of success. And if all you need is earthly success, then Satan is your God. There's enough gods and demons and false things out here to appease that part of you. You don't need the one true living God for that. You don't need him to make money. You don't need him to have a nice house, to stop your family from going poor, to make sure no one is ever abused like you were abused. You don't need him for that. There's enough false gods out there to appease that for you. How do you define success, purpose, and life? This is what Paul was saying to the Greeks and to the intellectuals. I'm reasoning with you, what is life? Who defines it? You said that we were children, offsprings of a deity. I know that deity. I can prove it because the man that we're going to be judged in terms of righteousness, there will be a day that he will judge all of us, all of nations, based off of righteousness. He will do it by this man named Jesus. I can prove to you, and he has set a proof that it will be done by him because this man, he raised him from the dead. Not a myth like your Adonis, but a real 
100% raising from the dead with hundreds of witnesses. Where are these witnesses? I'm one. He's one. Peter's one. Peter lived with them. And, they, and Peter, people are now dying because they refuse to reject the fact that they love this man, that they live with this man, that this man died and this man raised from the dead. They're still living and breathing right now. I thought to myself when I first read this chapter and I was, when I read stuff like this, I try to put myself in the seat of the listeners. I'm like, how are the Greeks? So, so you want us to believe in the God that this man named Jesus showed up. He's the Christ. He's going to be the king of everything because he died and buried, was raised from the dead. Now he said he just lifted up in heaven. Yeah, pretty much. I kept going. Why would they believe that? When I put myself in their shoes, I was like, if somebody came and told me, yeah, you need to believe in the one true living God. He's the king of everything. He's not king. Well, you don't really see him right now, but he is coming back because he was here. He died. He was crucified and he was raised from the dead. Um, and, 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 and then he just lifted and elevated right to heaven. And you want me to believe that? As a matter of fact, I do. I thought to myself, self, if you was in their seat, you wouldn't believe. You wouldn't believe. Well, doggone it, I do believe that. How in the world? How in the world? And the way I came to believe is the same way they were coming to believe. First with reasoning, then with understanding, then with testaments and testimonies, understanding the reports of these people and that they really happened and this is what went down and this is how it went. And not only did I just get the intellectual, but then all of a sudden his spirit began to change me on the inside and, and I began to let go of things and I began to let go of that and I began to want to do real life and real purpose and, and now I'm doing stuff that I would never have imagined I would have lived and, and that man I never met, I believe wholeheartedly that on my insides, I've met him in a way that is deeper than physical. Come on, somebody. I met this man from Galilee, and, I, and I, it was deeper than I physically met him. I met this man from Nazareth, and it was deeper than I really met him. Come on, somebody. I met a man. And it's deeper than physical. I met him where life begins. I met him where the beginning of my life is. That's where I met him. In a place that circumstances standing all over can't touch. This is where I met that God. And he's so real to me. 